Hello, listeners of the Yours Truly podcast. Welcome to episode 149 here on our show. My name is Claire Tuning. I am, of course, your host. I am a non-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, and I'm really glad you're here today. Whether this is your first time or your 149th time, you are in for a great episode here because I have another guest who is joining me more on her here in a couple of moments. But uh, as I'm recording the intro for today's episode, it is a very dreary and rainy fall day. I can officially say it's a fall day because yesterday, September 22nd, I know I'm recording this a little bit before it will come out, but September 22nd was the first official day of fall. So it is a fall rainy day. And although I do love my sunshiny days, I also love waking up just feeling that it's like extra cozy, right? You can hear the rain outside. It's a little cooler. I have a great excuse to listen to Evermore and or Folklore literally all day long. I will bop between the two. I will play nothing else, (laughs) but it's it's a whole vibe on this rainy day. Hope wherever you're tuning in from, you are having an okay day as well. But today I'm talking with Corey Baruta on episode 149 here of our show. I will share more about her and what we talk about in this episode here in a bit. But before we get there, we have to kick things off with our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. So this post comes from a community member who writes, Hi, sweet friends. Any advice for the days that that feel so hard to honor my hunger cues? Some days I am all in and I nourish my body with ease, but today is definitely feeling harder. Thanks in advance with a little heart emoji. So when I read something like this, A, I know this person is not the only individual to ever have a day where nourishing their body feels harder, but B, a couple of things come to mind. I've actually jotted down a few reminders here in my note section for this episode, and I would love to share them with all of you. So if you have had one of these days in the past or good timing, if you're having one of these days now, here are a few things that I will invite you to keep in mind. First and foremost, Know that eating sometimes just has to be functional. I have a whole episode on the concept of functional eating. I don't know what number episode that is off the top of my head, but you can scroll back in the feed wherever you're listening to this and find it. But, you know, some days we might be able to nourish our bodies with ease and find a lot of satisfaction or enjoyment in those food choices. Whereas other days, you might need to remind yourself to eat whatever you have available, simply for the purpose of making sure that your body and your brain as well have the energy that they both need to thrive and baseline function. So that's reminder one, sometimes eating is amazing and we get excited about it and it feels easy. Other times we just have to remind ourselves to eat for the purpose of staying alive and giving our body energy. Second reminder, An absence of hunger cues does not necessarily mean that your body doesn't need fuel. 
There could be a lot of reasons why your hunger cues show up different day to day. I always tell my clients, we are human beings. We are not robots. It makes sense that our hunger levels fluctuate day in and day out. But if you're having a day where you really feel not hungry at all, could be a lot of reasons why that is happening. It could be a stress response. You could just be super busy and not tuned into your body's cues. You could have had a medication change. You could be at a certain time of the month in a certain part of your cycle, right? All of these things can be factors that play a role in how we experience our hunger cues. But not having hunger cues one day doesn't mean that your body magically just does not need energy, right? So this is again where that idea of functional eating comes into play. And third and final reminder that I want to share is actually not a reminder that comes from my brain, but it was a comment that was left on this post from a community member. And this commenter wrote, know that your best or doing your best is going to differ from day to day and that's okay. So I thought that reminder was really helpful to just encourage us to be flexible, knowing that our best one day might look different from what our best is going to be another day. Similar to how caring for your body one day might mean, I don't know, all these things over here on list A, whereas caring for your body on another day might look like a whole nother list of behaviors and activities that you need. So I hope you found this helpful. If you would like to come and join us in this free private Facebook community, I guess I didn't even say what the Yours Truly Goal Sayers was. If you're new to the podcast, you don't know. If you're not new to the podcast, you're very familiar with this. You might already be a member of our community, but this is just a community on the interwebs on Facebook that is private, but it is free and open for anyone to join. So if you're looking to learn more about intuitive eating, if you want a forum to ask questions, much like the post that I read today, if you want to gather support and encouragement from individuals who think similarly and are also trying to distance themselves from dieting disordered eating, this is a great spot on the internet to come hang out. So if you're not already there with us, you can join us by visiting my website. That's clairetuning.com slash community. And that link will take you directly to the brief application that we will have you fill out. And when you submit it, my team and I will look over it as soon as we can and invite you into the community. By the way, when I was talking about that, my air my AC unit kicked on in my office, and I know that doesn't do great things to the quality of the audio, but we are just going to stick with it because we're uh, six minutes and 55 seconds into the intro. <laughs> I don't feel like stopping. So hope that's okay with you. But today's episode with Corey Baruta. So Corey, a little bit about her. She is an accredited practicing dietitian, APD. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, that is the Australian equivalent to what we call here in the States, a registered dietitian. So she is an accredited practicing dietitian in Melbourne, Australia. Through her lived experience of anorexia nervosa, she was inspired to help others overcome the pressures of diet culture, develop compassion for themselves, and rediscover a healthy relationship with food. 
She launched her business, Nutrition for Everybody, at the start of 2021, where she utilizes health at every size and the non-diet approach and intuitive eating to help people of all sizes, shapes, and abilities overcome disordered eating and eating disorders. If you'd like to visit Corey's website, you can go to nutritionforeverybody.com.au and her Instagram, and we'll plug all this at the end of the episode as well, as well as have it in the show notes. But her Instagram, if you'd like to look her up right now before you dive in, it is at nutrition.for.every.body. A lot of dots there, but nutrition for everybody. In this episode, Corey and I talk about the big overlap. We talk about a, a Venn diagram here. So get your, get your learning caps on. But the big overlap between dieting and disordered eating patterns and how almost if we're looking at this Venn diagram style, it is just one giant overlapping circle. We also talk about how eating disorders can impact every system in the human body, and we cover a few ways to begin seeking support if you believe that you or someone else in your life that you love may be in need of support in their dieting or disordered eating recovery. So without further ado, let's go chat with Corey. Hi, Corey. Welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. Good morning for you. Good evening for me. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Claire. I'm super glad to be here. I'm really, really glad to have you. And as we kick things off here at the start of our episode, I do have some very exciting this or that questions prepared for you. So are you ready? I'm ready. First one is coffee or tea? Definitely coffee. Um, my family actually are in a coffee business, so I am very big in coffee. Wow. So are you someone who has like in your household, like a couple different coffee appliances and ways to make coffee and like seven different kinds? Oh, yes. Is that you? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, we have so many different appliances. I guess like everyone's quite a coffee, um, expert in this household, uh-huh. um, Also, like where I'm from in Melbourne is very well known for being sort of the coffee capital of the country. So, yeah, we're very big on it here. I I did not know that last tidbit about Melbourne being the the coffee capital or whatever you called it i've i've never been to yeah. australia but i do enjoy coffee so if i ever come for a visit i know where to to go for a cup <laughs> yeah no definitely <laughs> we have the best stuff i love it next question <laughs> um your perfect day would you be mm. relaxing mostly at home or would you prefer to be adventuring out doing something See, I would usually say being at home relaxing, but we have been in lockdown here and I think I've had a lot of being at home lately. So at the moment, my answer would be to get out of the house and be adventuring, (laughs) most definitely, just for a change. Yeah. Isn't it always interesting, whatever we feel as though we can't have or whatever we've been restricted from, we always want more of, well, maybe um, that's foreshadowing to what we can get into later. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I saw that very clever. (laughs) Yeah. It was trying to, trying to weave our topic in Uh, next one, hot weather or sweater weather. Oh, 
I do like sweater weather mm-hmm. when I can rug up. I feel it's easier to, you know, put more clothes on than when you're super hot, you can't take off anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in saying that, you know, we're in winter at the moment. And again, it's one of those things where I'm really craving some warm weather at this stage. Yeah. We, um, yeah. we're kind of on, on opposite schedules weather-wise here because now yeah. in the States it's, it's still summer, but we're kind of winding down to the end of summer. And I've kind of reached that point where, although I love summer and the beach and all of that, I'm looking forward yeah. to wearing sweaters and jeans, but it sounds like it's the reverse yeah. for you. You're ready for some of that summer weather to come back. That's it. <laughs> you guys can give it back to us now. We're ready. Yeah. Oh, these little <laughs> tradesies. Uh, next yes. one, sweet or savory for food? Oh, I have a huge sweet tooth. I think I'm gonna have to say sweet, but at the same time, I do love my savory foods. Like I'm, I'm obsessed with like, I don't know how you guys say it, but like hummus, uh-huh. hummus, like yeah. hummus for dip. Yeah. I love that stuff so much. Yeah. But you... in other... No, yeah, go ahead. You go. I was going to say, have um, you ever tried the, the sweet hummus? They do have sweet varieties of hummus. I have heard, and it's kind of gone around the internet here and we're a little bit like, really are you serious (laughs) um I've never seen it available in our shops so I can't say I've tried it personally have you tried I have not I uh, similar to you I've seen it in stores I've heard things about it but I'm usually pretty adventurous when it comes to eating but there's something about hummus in my mind that is so tightly tied to just like a savory bean like experience that I have a really hard time envisioning chocolate ever being a part of that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no me too and it's got such an t- intense sort of like flavor I don't understand how that's going to work with chocolate but you know what you've inspired me to go hunting for some all right maybe that can be our our takeaway <laughs> from the this or that section of this interview is try dessert hummus <laughs> yeah sounds great <laughs> okay final question of our this or that series when it comes to tv shows do you prefer a drama or a comedy Oh, I think drama. Um, comedies are good. I guess if I'm really exhausted from a day and I just need something light on TV, I'll just watch whatever's sort of on the free to air, like a comedy. Um, but like if I'm watching Netflix and I want like a new series to like really binge, I'll pick a drama. Yeah, I'm with you there. A hundred percent. It kind of depends on the day. Like if you really just want to disconnect or have something lighthearted or easy to have in the background, I'm team comedy. But if I'm in the mood to just like get into it with a show or to binge something, I'm definitely doing it with the drama for sure. Yeah. Well, now that we've talked about all things from dessert hummus to what was my first question about to, to coffee, coffee. To your perfect day, you know, we know yeah. more about you than we did a couple of moments yeah. ago, but what we don't know about you, I say we, particularly the, the audience, I, I know a little about you because I have creeped on you and all of your content, but um, <laughs> I'd love for you to take a couple of moments or take really however yeah. long you would like to, and to share a little bit about who you are and um, what you do and kind of how you arrived to that. Sure. So I'm an accredited practicing dietitian here in Australia which is what we call, I guess, you know, our registered dietitians. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I've been uh, working with eating disorders and um, mostly disordered eating, um, body image work, that sort of stuff 
I recently opened my business called Nutrition for Everybody um, at the start of this year, which has been super exciting, um, where I basically, yeah, work with clients to improve their relationship with food. And, you know, given the title of my business, Nutrition for Everybody, um, a huge emphasis of what I do is being really inclusive and accepting of all body shapes, sizes, skin colours, people from all different backgrounds, cultures, socioeconomic statuses. Um, I want to provide an environment where um, people can feel welcomed and accepted to receive um, healthcare. So that's kind of my main um, focus at the moment. But I first got into dietetics and nutrition um, from my background in an eating disorder myself. Um, so through my own recovery, I realized that I wanted to help people in a way that was similar to the help that I received. And I guess, you know, build upon my lived experience to yeah, give back to people and help them on their own journeys. So, yeah, I've kind of come full circle now from, I guess, being unwell myself to now helping people with their own illnesses. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I find, um, yeah. I find it to be such a, a common theme. I'm, I'm wondering if you have found this as well in getting to know a lot of dietitians and people who end up in this work is that yeah. many individuals come to this work around nutrition, specifically in the intuitive eating health at every size community because of, or at least in part due to their own history with kind of, um, a tumultuous relationship with food. It sounds like that's the case yeah. for you. And I know I've come across so many other people who have a similar aspect or a similar theme in their story. Yeah, no, I definitely have noticed this as well. And I think that, you know, recovery is such a difficult um, thing for people to go through in their lives. And, you know, to come out the other side is such a a huge thing for someone. Um, once someone has made it to that stage, it's very often to feel like, oh my gosh, I just want to be able to help other people who are really struggling to also make it out the other side. Um, so, you know, it's really funny that a lot, a lot of people go into dietetics other than, you know, other health professions like psychology, uh -huh. um, which is something I found really interesting. Um, but yeah, there's so many dietitians even here in Australia that I know have lived experience, but even some in the US as well that I follow very closely on social media. <laughs> um, yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure too, um, clients, I know some clients have shared this with me and I've heard this from other providers as well, but um, they yeah. find some level of comfort or confidence in the fact that they can work with a provider who not only has the professional background and knowledge to, to be helpful, but can also sometimes relate on um, lived experience in some levels as well. So um, yeah, one thing that I'd love to kind of bring in here now that we know a little bit about your story and what brought you here, I was commending you before we even hit record on this, on the content that you put out on social media. Um, ever since Erica, my wonderful assistant, shared your content <laughs> with me, I've been devouring it and, and reading your content. And you had one post from earlier this month, earlier in August, I believe, 
I'm a sucker for a Venn diagram. And you had a Venn diagram. <laughs> you had a Venn diagram on this post. And I'm going to try to describe the visual as best I can because yeah. unfortunately with podcasting, we have an auditory platform, so we cannot see things. <laughs> but on one side, you had eating disorders in one circle. Yeah. And then in the other circle, you had um, dieting, specifically weight loss diets or, or fad diets. I can't remember exactly how you had it phrased, but the overlap between these two circles, right in the middle, the intersection there was disordered eating and disordered eating behaviors. And this is something, as you alluded to earlier, that you talk about a lot in your content. It sounds like it's something that you work with your clients on. And in the the caption of that photo, you were Mm -hmm. offering some information that um, I think can be like kind of staggering, right? When you kind of describe dieting as being glorified disordered eating habits put on a pedestal and called healthy. And then you even went on to say that diets are one of the contributing factors, if not the contributing factor to the development of disordered eating, which can lead to eating disorders. So, um, I'd love for you, if you feel comfortable just to speak a little bit more on like the overlap here and how so many of these behaviors are considered quote unquote normal and healthy. Sure. And I guess, you know, it's an area I'm so passionate in and that I sort of align a lot of my content around because it's something I personally experienced. And I guess coming from a place where my eating disorder was very influenced by dieting and, you know, the decision at you know, a sort of young age to first try a diet is ultimately what led to the development of my eating disorder. And reflecting back, you know, it's something that I always question and think, well, if I hadn't have gone on that diet, would I have developed this eating disorder? I've gotten as as bad as I possibly had. And I guess through, you know, my work of now being a dietitian and, you know, learning about diet culture, I... I came to the realization that diet culture basically is teaching people how to develop eating disorders Mm -hmm. or if not eating disorders, disordered eating habits. Um, And there's a lot of people in the world who potentially are engaging in disordered eating habits, but don't necessarily know it because it's applauded and celebrated in the media or, you know, in magazines and on social media, places where we receive information about how to make our bodies smaller, which, you know, we're told is what we need to do for our health, which is not necessarily true at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's creating this relationship with food that is so fractured and, you know, people can almost go their entire lives without realizing that they've completely disconnected from food and have lost that freedom around eating. Um, So what I love to do, I guess, is bring to light the fact that um, dieting and the whole diet industry is basically trying to teach people to disconnect with their bodies and develop a disordered relationship with food. And I think that I, yeah, I really liked the visual idea that I came up with as well uh-huh. um, because it can be, I guess, it's almost like a bit of a shock for someone who's never thought of it in that way before. And even though, yeah, I, I wrote those phrases, you know, um, dieting is glorified disordered eating and it's quite, I guess, a bold statement to make, mm-hmm. but um, it seems to and seem to from, you know, the um, 
engagement I got on that content, um, it really got to people and made people sort of realize, wow, maybe I've had a completely different perspective. And that's kind of what my goal is to sort of help people challenge their thoughts and challenge diet culture. Yeah. And I think the thing, one of the things I'll put it that way, that can be really frustrating about so many of these behaviors being normalized and put on this pedestal of quote unquote being healthy is that it can be really challenging to notice if these behaviors Mm. are getting onto that slippery slope of being something that is coming at the expense of our health, right? We might've gotten into this behavior to be quote unquote healthier, whatever the goal might've been, but sometimes we can start to cross this line. Like you were saying, when we're not even really realizing what we're doing or how problematic those behaviors can be. So I'm curious to hear from, from your perspective, I'm maybe misremembering this piece of content. So if this is not Mm. yours, please correct me. But um, (laughs) did you you have something, or even if you didn't have content, you may have some thoughts on how someone can figure out if a behavior is becoming more of a disordered one. Like, is there maybe Mm. a red flag that someone can look out for, or maybe a question that they can ask themselves regarding a certain behavior. If they're trying to figure out, Hey, is this becoming kind of problematic in my life or is Mm. this okay? Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, a question that is important for someone to pose to themselves if, you know, they're finding or questioning whether something is maybe not good for them anymore is, you know, how do I feel if I don't engage in this behavior, whether that be, you know, a particular way of eating or, you know, um, movement or anything like that. What sort of feelings are brought up inside me if I don't do this? And for a lot of people, distorted eating habits, are connected with, I guess, feelings of guilt or fear around what happens to potentially their body or their weight or their health if they don't engage in a particular behavior. Mm -hmm. So I guess, um, you know, like real health, genuine health is based around flexibility and being able to, you know, do different things on different days and that there's a balance in the lifestyle. Whereas I believe in disordered eating and, you know, what then becomes eating disorders is there's this rigidity around what must be done in order to be, you know, quote unquote, quote, healthy. Um, So I think, yeah, posing to yourself, what sort of feelings come up for me and what sort of, you know, things, um, yeah, things do I feel if I were to potentially not do this behavior? Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth and you're using the yeah. word that I like the most flexibility, <laughs> right? Yes. I think, um, yeah. You put it really beautifully when you said, when we're talking about true health, of course, knowing that everyone's definition of that is going to differ a little yeah. bit, but a, a really common theme within having a healthy relationship with food, body movement, whatever it is, is going to be that flexibility piece, right. And not having to be so, so I think that was a a great answer. Thanks for that. Uh, one other thing, um, I have multiple other things, but one thing that I'd like to ask you now, before we hit record or kind of when we were in the planning stages of this episode, I wanted to get your take on the impact that eating disorders can have on multiple systems inside the body, right? I think sometimes, people can think of 
eating disorders. And we're maybe sometimes tempted in some cases to like brush it off being like, oh, that's yeah. not that serious. Right. Or, oh, just suck it up or, oh, just don't fear X, Y, Z food. It's like, if we don't kind of have the knowledge is how, as to how serious they can be and how involved the healing process has to be, we can easily dismiss these things. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, however you would like to take this, um, how eating disorders do impact multiple systems in the body and why they are a, a very serious matter. Yeah, of course. And I think, as you said, you know, it's really important to highlight the seriousness of eating disorders. And a lot of the time, if I'm working with a child and, you know, working mostly with the parents in like an FBT almost model, I really make it a point to emphasize how serious the eating disorder that their child has, because, you know, it's important for them to realize the situation that they're dealing with. So that then they go, okay, well, we really need to take action and really help our child. Because again, there's, I guess, this misconception, as you said, that eating disorders are maybe a lifestyle choice or, you know, just a desire to be eating less for vanity or, you know, um, attention or anything like that. Um, But in reality, it's, you know, it is a mental illness, but it also can have very real physical symptoms and impacts on the body. And I mean, potentially almost every organ system can be impacted by an eating disorder, depending on the type of eating disorder and the behaviours that, of course, are being engaged in. Um, But, you know, um, not only physically um, impacting these organ systems, but, you know, that can consequentially impact, you know, someone's lifestyle and their relationships and their productivity and their functionality, which, you know, goes beyond um, physical health and steps inside of, you know, those social health, environmental health, um, that larger scale of what we consider, you know, like social determinants of health sort of a thing. Um, But if we delve back into like, I guess, the body, um, would you like me to go through some body systems? Let's do it. I'm here. I'm yeah. like buckling up for physiology, <laughs> anatomy and physiology. It's like I'm back in school. Let's Great. go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's important, I guess, before we like delve into like other body systems, like acknowledging the fact that eating disorders are mental illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. So they go psychological and, you know, it's often not really known that they are, you know, they have the second highest mortality rate of any psychiatric illness, um, which in alone is a quite very staggering, um, you know, fact. Um, eating disorders are also often associated with other, I guess, uh, mental health symptoms like anxiety, depression, um, low self-esteem, but also a preoccupation with their body and weight. So the focus is very much on their physical selves, which we often see resulting in things such as social isolation and withdrawal from their surroundings, which again impacts that sort of lifestyle and relationships. It's really common for people, you know, struggling mentally to then delve in self-harm and really even increases the risk of suicide. Um, In fact, a lot of the deaths that we see associated with eating disorders are related to suicide, which is really tragic and really horrible. Um, But the other thing as well, being a psychological illness, is that 
upwards of 90% of people who suffer from an eating disorder suffer from comorbid mental illnesses as well, including like anxiety disorders, major depression, OCD, PTSD, which, you know, we're not really 100% sure about associations between what comes first. We're actually finding some interesting research that majority of people who have an anxiety disorder and an eating disorder, the anxiety disorder often comes first. Mm. Um, which is really interesting. Um, but, you know, it just goes to show that um, being a mental illness, it can really impact other areas of your mental well-being, not just food-related. And more often than not, being a mental illness, it's, it is about the food, but also not about the food. It's generally about something, some deeper issue and deeper emotions that are going on for the individual. Um, I guess, you know, adding on to that, the it's important to highlight that the severity of an eating disorder is, you know, not necessarily determined by the physical body or what organ systems it impacts in addition to the brain. Because being a mental illness, that's where, you know, it resides, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time, you know, it's kind of considered that we can determine an eating disorder's severity based off what maybe someone looks like or based off maybe a blood test that might be telling us what else is going on in the body, but that's not always the case. Um, we can't tell because we can't really look inside someone's brain and be like, what's going on here? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's super important to consider the brain and the fact that that's where the eating disorder is really starting. And sure, it can have, I guess, impacts on other body systems, but, you know, they're kind of, secondary to what is actually going on in the brain for that person. Yeah. Which I think that fact in and of itself really highlights the importance of getting help from multiple individuals trained in a lot of different specialties, right? Of course, dieticians, therapists, you know, other people in the medical team as well for the physical implications. But Yeah. I think it can be kind of um, a misconception sometimes that it's like, I'm going to see this one person or try this one thing. And that's going to be the one thing that leads to healing. And for some people, maybe, but I think for the vast majority of of individuals, we really need that, um, that team approach and people need a lot of support around them when it comes to healing too. Oh, most definitely. Um, I know even from my experience, so many people were needed in you know, involved in my care. And I see it, you know, it's, it's, it especially occurs in inpatient settings um, where you need specialists in all different areas because, yeah. you know, it comes back to the fact that it affects the whole body. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for everything that you just walked us through. I felt like I was almost in a trance there for a moment, just oh. taking, <laughs> taking in all of this. Um, oh, wow. and I, I'm, I'm really thinking that our listeners are probably grateful to have everything laid out, especially if they have someone in their life who is maybe mm-hmm. struggling. And maybe this can be a conversation that instills a little bit more empathy, like, man, this is really serious. And this is impacting every part of this person's well-being, not only physically, but mentally as well. And that kind of actually yeah. brings me to a, a question that is coming up for me as you're sharing all of this, I guess this is sure. kind of the two-parter, but I'll ask the first part and then we can follow up with the second. So I know a question that I have received a fair amount on social media, maybe you have as well, 
But um, I will get some questions from people who fear that someone in their life, be it a family member, a friend, a loved one, is struggling in their relationship with food. And the the loved one who messages me or messages you is starting to notice this. And the question often is like, hey, Claire, I hear you talking a lot about the importance of not making comments on someone else's food Mm -hmm. choices or their body, right? This is not what that conversation is about. We know the importance of that, but these individuals often come saying, I understand the importance of not making those comments, but what if I'm genuinely concerned for my loved one who I see engaging in behaviors that seem to be a pattern. I'm becoming worried about them. Do I bring this up? And if so, how do I do so like thoughtfully? So it doesn't come across as I'm attacking them or they feel like I'm blaming, like what might you say to someone who is finding themselves in that kind of scenario? Sure. And I think it's really important, you know, if you decide that, you know, this is something I want to raise with my young person or whoever it is, I think it's important to do so away from the dining table. (laughs) Um, It can be very tempting to, I guess, you know, if there's an eating situation and, you know, maybe someone's visibly not eating or eating in a particular way to make a comment in that moment. But I think it's really important to refrain from that because that's almost, I guess, um, pinpointing to that individual in that moment who is likely really struggling with what's going on and what the, you know, the eating experience and generally generates a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and even potentially resentment towards the person who made the comment. So I think, you know, if someone is concerned, it's best to get the person in a separate environment, sit them down and have a conversation around, you know, just their general concern for them. Um, it is, it is, you know, perfectly okay to express that, you know, they've noticed some, I guess, changes in the way that they're eating, but I guess, you know, come from a place of compassion, not blaming, um, not accusing, but being like, you know, we care about you and this is why, you know, we wanted to have a chat with you. How are they, like, what is going on for you? Is there anything that we can do to help? Because I guess, you know, approaching it from a larger perspective, is also important because as I said before, you know, eating disorders a lot of the time, sure, it's about the food, but more often than not, it's about something bigger that's going on for that individual and can be either a coping mechanism or, you know, a way to numb emotions or anything like that. So if we start bigger and I guess allow the young person or whoever it is to sort of express maybe what's going on for them in their minds they might they're potentially more willing to engage and potentially more willing to I guess open up and express what's going on for them and the food I guess is a secondary thing to that but I know that I guess the food is what we physically see right again being mental illness um so it's very easy to guess focus on that and think that's the problem when often it's not always like the it's not the core problem that's causing other things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's totally valid and important to have these conversations with people who we potentially think might be at risk of an eating disorder. Um, but you know, really important to be compassionate, not blaming, and yeah, allow space for that young person to feel safe in expressing what is going on for them. Mm-hmm. 
I love those, um, how you kind of outlined a, a process there of even though we might be noticing these behaviors happening around mealtime or around food, let's try to separate this conversation yeah. from that environment. Because if they are struggling, they're struggling really hard in that moment when food is present, right? So let's take that yeah. in a different environment. And I really just want to highlight and pretty much just repeat what you said for anyone who's listening, like the importance of taking this conversation from a really compassionate and a thoughtful angle rather than mm. why are you doing X, Y, and Z, or, you know, you're just anything that could be seen from that blaming or accusatory point of view. Cause oftentimes yes. there's already a lot of shame around those behaviors. And um, definitely if we're looking to point someone in the direction of receiving care and help, usually shaming them in that direction probably isn't going to help. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. No. So that was the, the first part of my question. And the, the final one yeah. that I have for you here before we tell people where they can find you and access all of your information is if anyone is listening, listening to this episode and maybe they feel like this has brought up, hmm, maybe I'm noticing some behaviors in myself that I'm deeming unhelpful or I think I need support around some of these behaviors, or I just kind of want to have a conversation with someone to help me figure out what is going on or what are my intentions? Where might you direct them? I don't know if there's a resource so they can start looking into receiving help, support, or having more information to help them find clarity. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, in Australia, where I am, uh-huh. I generally direct people to our governing, our government sort of organization for eating disorders, which is known as the Butterfly Foundation. And that kind of covers Australia. I know in the US, you guys have NEDA. We do. NEDA, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is a really great resource for, you know, concerned parents or loved ones to go to first because it provides so much information about what eating disorders are, how to be able to tell, you know, if maybe someone has one. And it's very, I guess, very informative, but also very broad, um, which I think is really great. And they also offer, I mean, I know the butterfly does um, like an on-call service where you can speak to real people Mm -hmm. and I guess, you know, express what's going on for you. And, you know, the people on the other end can really chat with you about, you know, maybe what is going on for that person and how to, I guess, best approach it, even how, you know, some of the ways that we were just talking about. Um, I believe, yeah, those sorts of services are really great um, because they exist for the purpose of, you know, spreading awareness and um, helping people on a larger scale with eating disorders, as well as the carers of people with eating disorders and the loved ones. And like, it has this huge community wrapped up in it where, it's there to support not just the individual with an eating disorder, but the greater community. So yeah. I think places like that, those websites are awesome, especially as a place to direct someone if there is just initial concern. Um, if there is like a confirmation of an eating disorder or a diagnosis, I guess that's when, you know, it's important to look into individual treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think those sorts of organizations are a great place to really start. And I will add too, when it comes to seeking treatment, I don't know about the, the Butterfly Foundation. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that as I am with, um, with Nita, but I know on Nita's website, they have a button or a tab 
that says find treatment. And you can look all over the United States. You can search search based on your zip code or, you know, where you live. So that can be um, a really great tool, not only for the broad type of information that you were referring to, but if there is that diagnosis or someone looking for that next step, that can be a tool to seek out. Yeah. So yeah, Gloria, this has been great. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing all that you did and uh, giving us that awesome like breakdown of how eating disorders impact our physical health, our mental health, emotional, and then wrapping it all up here with how to approach someone who we're maybe concerned about. But if anyone would like to find your content, maybe they want to look at the Venn diagram post I was talking about, or they just want to learn more about you or even potentially how to work with you. I'd love for you to plug where you hang out, anything that you have going on, et cetera. Sure. So I am active on social media, as Claire mentioned. Um, My handle is at nutrition.or.every.body. Yes, you can totally find me on there. I'm posting most days. Um, Content, I guess, as you know, that we've discussed about is, you know, meant to be informative and, you know, help people think a bit differently about diet culture and, you know, inform people about eating disorders as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also have a website, www.nutritionforeverybody.com.au. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm currently taking clients. I'm not sure if people in the US would be interested at all, but I, you know, do potentially take international clients. Uh-huh. Um, but I also, you know, on my website have a blog where I share um, posts about um, different specific topics, but I also have some guest writers, people who share some of their own experiences and knowledge. Um, yeah, so you can find me on social media or my website. I take it there is no lack of information or ways to find you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can always yeah. find me. And yeah, feel free to send me a message anytime. Of course. Well, I hope anyone who is listening or who has made it to the end of this conversation will go and give you a follow, check out your information, read your blog. And um, that is all we have today here on the Yours Truly podcast. Again, Corey, thank you so much for being here. And on that note, we will go ahead and sign off by saying, saying yours, Julie, Claire, and Corey. And that is a wrap for episode 149 here on the Yours Julie podcast with our very special guest, Corey Baruta. If you enjoyed today's episode or anything else that we share here on the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you could take a couple of moments and show some love for the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do that by tapping those five stars and leaving a kind review if you feel so inclined. If you are listening elsewhere, say Spotify or SoundCloud or anywhere else, anywhere else you might be, you can do that by taking a screenshot of this episode, sharing it somewhere on social, being sure to give me a tag at Claire Tuning. And for this episode, you can tag Corey as well. That's nutrition.for.every.body. Be sure you get those dots in there. Uh, Be sure to tag us so we can say hey and thank you for listening. You can also share this episode with anyone in your life who you think could benefit from it by sharing the link. Usually you can tap three little dots somewhere on your screen and get a link to the episode that you can text out, email out, or 
you know, send by carrier pigeon, the joke that I made last week. But however you want to share the episode, I would be so incredibly grateful for your support. But that is all that I have for you here today. So I'll see you back here next Wednesday for another new episode. And until then, take care and we'll talk soon. See ya.